that moment when they cut your chest open, your lungs are no longer working with your body. Your heart is no longer working with your body. And your brain's going, what is going on here? I'm not controlling the lungs or the heart. Okay? You become so grounded into the earthly plane. So grounded into this consciousness. And I don't want to, I, I overemphasize the earthly plane. This consciousness, this lie that we're living in, this dream world of you and I and sitting here. And the work we're doing, and I'm not, you know, uh, negating what we're doing. This is not about being uh, not grounded in the right area. What I'm saying is you're grounded in civilization, you're grounded in medicine, you're grounded in machines keeping you going. I wake up from that and everything, I, I've struggled from that day on. That was Kenny Martin and this is episode 128 of the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Here we go again, you guys, 128 weeks in a row. We have shared stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. I can't believe it. From Olympians to authors, doctors, health crusaders, yogis, triathletes, animal ambassadors, coaches, and cacao queens. We have been so blessed. And although we don't have like an official booking agent, we always just ask the universe. I always just ask the universe, bring me the interviews bring us the interviews, and it just delivers always so divinely. We are so grateful for you guys for tuning in. The Yogi Triathlete Podcast is a listener-supported show. We had a small stint earlier this year with some sponsorship, but it just didn't feel right. And I'm not saying that we won't head that way in the future if it feels aligned, but for right now, it's you guys who tune in weekly, who share the show with your friends, and those who support us through your monthly pledge on Patreon. Yogi Triathlete is an international community and the listenership is growing steadily every week. It is, oh my gosh, it's such an incredible thing to be a part of. Thank you all for confirming that we must continue. The connections that we have made with listeners, guests, our athletes, most of which have come through this show are absolutely invaluable. And it's all of us, you guys, that's fulfilling the Yogi Triathlete mission to create a better world. Our athletes on Team Yogi Triathlete are killing it. It's almost hard to keep up, but I just want to give a couple quick shout outs. First to Ed, who just completed his first Ironman in Louisville. Ed's success is a reminder that we have assisted many first timers to the Ironman finish line. So if that's on your bucket list, let's just make it happen. What are you waiting for? You are so worthy of doing this. Also, Liz, aka Running on Venti showed up at the Bay State Marathon just yesterday on an intuitive hit to back up her Chicago performance with another 26.2. I was so psyched to see this go down because anytime we follow an intuitive calling, it's for sure because we have something to learn. In other words, it's a directive to up-level, and it sounds like that's exactly what happened. Braving cold temps and relentless wind, Liz finished with several takeaways, including that she can do anything, that there are no limits, and that she definitely shed another layer, and I'm not talking about a long sleeve. Letting those layers fall away, or limits, that would also be another good descriptive for layers, is exactly what tapping into your inner badass is all about. It's about shedding the layers so that we can uncover the perfection and the power that is within each one of us. As our guest today would say, it's a coming back in. 
But that coming back in requires us to show up to the challenges and trials of our life. And we may as well just show up awake and ready, everyone, because we cannot run from what we are here to learn. Believe me, I have tried. And I have a feeling that every single person listening has tried to run as well because challenge is not comfortable. But despite Ken's abrupt and intense crusade with vulnerability, something he is here to learn, I absolutely consider this guy a serious badass. He is a disciplined meditator, but that doesn't mean that it comes easy to him. He simply allows his mind not to want to do it, and he does it anyway. His ego is relentless, and he has come up close and personal with having to navigate emotional wreckage in his life. I love how he puts that in the show today, emotional wreckage. Ken grew up in a Catholic family with a very spiritual mother. He is what I consider to be a natural-born seeker. I can relate to Kenny and his story on so many levels, from the use of alcohol and drugs to battling with vulnerability to feeling alone and anxious. From a young age, he knew that there was a deep power and light within him, but as so many of us intuitive beings, we get lost within this society that doesn't foster the expansion of these gifts. Ken has been on a healing journey for most of his life. And just when he thought he had it, oh man, just when he was on the cusp of fully realizing his big capital S self, he suffered a massive heart attack and it turned his entire world upside down. This is a deep conversation. We talk about meditation. We talk about the ego. We talk about God. We talk about Jesus. And Ken gives us his definition of these figureheads. And I understand that these subjects can create a lot of discomfort for many. I mean, that used to be me. But my recommendation is stick with it and get curious about the pieces of this chat that perplex you. I caught up with Ken during my trip to New England last August. We recorded in the back of his restaurant. If you live on a Quidnick Island, that you know Carmela's Pizza. Famous to the locals, and although not advertised on their menu, not yet, right, Ken? <laughs> they make a mean vegan pie. They were always so good to BJ and I when we lived there. And I love that we recorded this right in his back kitchen of the shop. Any sound engineer would have been horrified at how we recorded. We were like stacked up on boxes, sitting on crates. We were surrounded by stainless steel tables and next to a huge humming refrigerator, which does actually turn off for a big part of the interview. But I don't care. I love the authenticity of our surroundings and it's the content that counts and Ken delivers on that today. So without another word, I welcome you into my conversation with the ever so spiritual warrior that is my dear friend, Kenny Martin. Dude, you're sitting in Lotus position. This is the first time somebody sat in Lotus. This is probably because you're interviewing wannabes. This is why you're on the mic right now, because you are the real deal. <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. I know you've swam in the darkness. I would say working on shining one's light, that's the truth that exists for all of us. Right. It's not, I don't think it's supposed to be something that it's not. And I guess the biggest freedom that I have in my life today is identifying with that statement, knowing what is and what isn't. So somewhere around second grade, I realized that I didn't know a whole heck of a lot what was going on. I wasn't necessarily like 
other kids going to school at second grade. I was back in 1959 when I was born, a quote unquote, oops child. Born to older parents, born to in a family environment where my siblings were 10 and 15 years older than me. So by the time I was in second grade, my sister was getting married, my brother was 17 years old, and I'm this little kid in a family that didn't know which end was up. The saving element of all of that is that my mother was profoundly spiritual. Religious because that's what it was of that day, but spiritual in the fact that it wasn't a religious upbringing that we experienced, that I experienced. My brother and sister did, they went to Catholic school. I didn't experience that. I experienced a God of love. Without borders. Without anything. Without labels. Without, with, yet my parents were very Catholic, but they did not. I didn't receive burning hell. I didn't receive guilt. I didn't receive condemnation. I didn't receive any of that those social identifications in which people keep us trapped. Totally agree. So second grade, I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> don't know what's going on. And at that point, it kind of spiraled out of control. Um, right through the point where now I have discernment capabilities somewhere around the age, and these developed later for me, rather than earlier, somewhere around the age of 13, 14, I was able to say that I don't want to really be a part of any of this. I don't want to wear certain shoes. I don't want to wear certain clothing. I don't want to wear certain anything. I really want to be what I know now finding the truth. What I knew then was running away from what was being told to me is the truth. And what I mean by that, I chose drugs and alcohol to run away, to hide, to masquerade, and to try to expand myself and my mind. But not really knowing what I was doing in and of itself. So for years, that became a prevailing force in my life. When did you start drugs and alcohol? Alcohol came first at 13. Then marijuana came right at the end of 13 into 14. Then experimentating. I mean, we're talking about the 70s. Mm -hmm. You either studied real hard in school, were a sports personality, so to speak, <laughs> or you partied. I was somewhere in between all of that. It sounds like there was, you were a natural, what I would consider a natural, I think we all are in a way, but it was more pronounced with you that you were a natural born seeker. That there was, there was something you were seeking. You weren't quite sure what it was, but it was, it was drawing you. And, and so you were, you were experimenting with the ways to, to find it and find that guidance. You know, not being able to be explained into birth and rebirth, not being able to be explained into saying how many evolutions of the soul, how many times past have I been here, 
So all of a sudden I'm with these folks, I'm with, in a family dynamic. Now I'm in high school and I'm doing smoking weed and drinking and I'm like, no, 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 no. Clearly inside my internal self is screaming that. Yeah, like this is not the answer. This is not the answer, but I, I was like, well, what is? The external wasn't providing me with anything. And what I mean by that is usually kids that party, that's what they did. They weren't good in sports. They certainly weren't good in school. I was good in all of them. I was a great drug addict, alcoholic, professional grade. I did very well in sports. As a matter of fact, my, my basketball coach said, hey, either stop smoking pot or play basketball. I can't have you do both. I said, well, then I'll quit playing basketball. It was a defining moment. Sophomore year in high school, you're telling your basketball coach way back then, that I'm sorry, I'm going to smoke pot. Uh, in other words, there was some aspect of seeking or defiance, not sure what it was, that was telling me now this isn't going to work. Maybe I wasn't able to follow <sighs> social instruction, I'm not sure. Or maybe social instruction just was so perverse. It was so conflicting to my light. I, I completely understand. I felt very similar, like kids are planning for college and I'm like, I don't want to go to college. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. So what's wrong with you, so to speak? Exactly. Like, what's wrong with you socially? So I, I conformed. I felt, I tried, like I got into the box and I freaked out in the box. I went to like five schools in five years. I never graduated. I just, I wanted to, I wanted to seek. I wanted to experience. I wanted to adventure in this life. I knew that there was something more than this regiment and this and the, and the labels and the box it never worked for me and i felt so alone did you feel alone my whole life i well, felt so alone, alone and anxious yet yeah, very so that's so th thank you pot that totally helped with the anxiousness of course and then it and then eventually it began to create, create it <laughs> but that's when it stops working yes and that's the best and i think that's addiction yeah addiction when you're when you become alcoholic or an addict it's when you're choosing to continue to do something that no longer works for you, but you do it anyways. That, that, oh, that, I absolutely know what you're talking about. Because really, alcohol and drugs worked for me just fine up until maybe 16 when I started driving. I mean, it doesn't work well when you drive. But up until that, it was fine. I mean, even through high school, I mean, we never went to school. School was easy. Like, our idea of taking your SATs was let's all do mushrooms. And our scores were outrageous because it was a joke. It came very easily. So intellect was was not difficult. Intuitiveness was difficult. There was a big gap there. And we're never, there's no class in high school that's intuition level one. How about this? No class in high school wants you to be identified with your intuitive self. Right. The Gita says the big S, little s. And I've jumped off track, but to get into that aspect of what we missed back then, why aren't we taught that? You know, someone, I, I ran into my friend's wife the other day, she's a Buddhist, and I asked her how she works at John, uh, the nursing home over here, and she says, well, well, my spirituality teaches me to just separate myself from that suffering. Mm. It's just a place I go and I work and I give and I come home. And she starts, she does the work for the sake of the work. 
and I said to her, I said, wow, Buddhism, that, that, that is so core. That is a core response of any Buddhist. You know, these two monks were going down the street. One helps a lady, the other monk yells at him, and they're walking down the road, and the other monk still yelled at him, and the monk who helped the lady, which is totally against Buddhist tradition, said, I'm done helping her. You know, he, had, he hadn't evolved enough. Right. Yet. And I think where I'm going with this is the evolution of that spirit, the work. I mean, I obviously chose my parents. I was born into them. Hi, I must have had... Oh my gosh, I don't even know how, how I would identify with my karma. When you're an alcoholic and a drug addict and that's the, the venues you take and then you have all these other innate complexities, anxiety is a complexity that unless anybody's ever experienced anxiety, they really don't understand. It's paralyzing. It really creates a paralysis. Mm -hmm. So where do you blossom? How does your lotus flower open? Where does it all go? Thank God I had parents who, in their own way, showed me a sense of devotion. And what I what I've learned the different the different choices that one can make on how they want to seek higher consciousness is the devoted one, the one who does selfless devotion, love, bhakti yoga. Uh, it has a cleaner path to go to. Less well, strings, less attachments. Love is the is the absolute purity. It's the highest level. An unconditional love, not that human, needy, ego, clinging love. Judgmental. Which I know I'm subject to because I don't want my husband to leave me. <laughs> I don't want him. I'm very attached to him. But I also allow him to suffer because I know it's a part of his path. Hmm. Oh, and that's so hard. Okay. Oh, but detaching from that, yes, it's huge. It's, yeah, it's, it's, huge. it's wicked. But what? where's my stuff in that? My stuff is that growth of of allowing. Or ego. Yeah. My ego. I won't say our because it's not fair for me to include you in my own journey. <laughs> my ego is relentless. <laughs> so, all right. So... Drugs and alcohol through high school, how does it progress? Well, really, it was the catalyst in which to get me to a point of where I am now. I know. Isn't it beautiful? And But think of, I almost did like, I did a life study in drugs and alcohol. In 1984, it was really brought to my attention that you're an alcoholic and a drug addict. So this is going on for a long time. Yeah, clear as a bell. 1984, it's now 2018. In 2007, I was finally able to get clean and sober. So I've been clean and sober 11 years. Nothing worked anymore. Nothing worked? Nothing worked. No amounts of drugs, no minimal amounts. Nothing was stopping the incessant chatter. So... Where were you at this point? Were you here on the island? Hmm. Oh, I, you I, were. I own this store. Yeah. Just this. I had sold two pizza shops. Actually, I was with Valerie Griffiths earlier today, and I told her that I was going to meet with you, and she said, he took me to my first bar. She said you took her to this bar where it was like this biker bar, and there was like women's underwear like mm. all over the place. <laughs> oh, that's pretty much biker bars. Like <laughs> one of the, you know... 
focal points is. Yeah, but she knew you, I think, before you were sober. She knew me sober and not sober. Sober and not sober. Yes, amazing. Wow. So 2000 and... So you should have her here, her here right now. So 2007. So you were you were pretty newly sober when I met you. Mm -hmm. I didn't meet you too much longer after that. So nothing worked anymore. How did you How did you know that? Like, do you remember the moment where you were like, I'm Yeah, I was done? sitting in the bathroom, in this in, in my shop here. It was the morning? It was a Thursday morning, June 21st, 2007. Went in the bathroom, sat on the bathroom, and and the toilet on the seat. Not not going to the bathroom. I just said. Something's got to give. Like, I can't do this anymore. It's probably on the verge of bankruptcy. Definitely emotionally bankrupt. And 5.30 that afternoon, I'm in a meeting with someone and a gathering of people, and my life started to turn around from that moment on. And that's divine intervention. Many people talk about a spiritual awakening or a, a, a moment of clarity, but really, for me, it was an, um, the amount of pain I couldn't process anymore, and I let go. And I think anybody that identifies with that, there's a point of letting go. When you let go, you can let in. And once you let in, your truth can be exposed in and of itself. I, I don't know how to speak about it intelligently, but I believe it's something that's in all of us. Yeah. We all think, I think of myself as unique. My ego wants to think of me as unique. You're not that unique. No, no, <laughs> no one's unique. We're not. Um, so when people get, we hear, you know, people get sober, oh, God, it's great, he got sober, he got sober, but that's when you walk into the lion's den, right? You walk into a lot of emotional wreckage how a were you navigating that? Person. Um, Emotional staying wreckage. In the day. I love that. Staying in the day. The day. You can handle anything. One minute, five minutes, ten, an hour, the day. In all, in all fairness, we're, we have all the strengths we need. We have every single thing. I don't think there's a day that goes by on earth for anyone, but I'll speak of myself only, that I'm not capable of navigating through. I cannot navigate through the past and I certainly can't navigate through projection in the future so staying in the day was how I was able to do it and it was difficult I mean I was withdrawn from opiates and alcohol it's not like it's a walk in the park my first 28 days was literally I, I went to my summer's family home in Mattapoisa and would hide with shades down you know and and craziness but you know, this conversation and this aspect, I wanted to share about the horror of not knowing who you are or what you're supposed to be for the majority of your life, but also having a light spark inside of you that echoed, this isn't it, that saved you every single time those horrors became unbearable. That life spark. So do we call that the divine? Do people who, who a lot of people are uncomfortable with the word God because they attach a certain imagery. I cringed with the word God for a couple years and now I've completely changed my relationship to it. And I see my husband now changing his relationship to it 
that for real yes that god is not hanging on the crucifix over the altar that god is everything that ever was that ever is that ever will be and god is what is that energy that's within us that we're that individual that individual light from from god's source the majority of the people on earth thinking about god's source failed to recognize and identify what christ was trying to say what christ. was he trying to say <laughs> you were saying it's not me it was none not. of this is me i'm not doing any of this and he identified with father my father's doing it and you know what he was really identifying with is that his statement when he said we're all gods we're all created from the one my ego limits itself in a God sense. So when I say God, it, it, it immediately wants to box it, limit it, control it, tag it, create some type of limitation. Would I want a limited God? Would I want a God that makes me die in the ground and wait to be saved? Would I want a God that navigates me into horrors and pain and this and that? Or do I really want a God that gave, gives me free will and then challenge you to say, what are you going to do with your free will? Right. Ooh, and I think that's where Hinduism has a much crisper clarity on God, mm -hmm. on the word God. And the Yogi Christ say it all the time. Jesus was amazing, of course he was. He was just so evolved, he could rise himself, die and raise himself he at was, the same time. Yeah, and he was so, so evolved. He was so pure that he could put his hand on you and you would be healed. And we have, all, we have that within each one of us, but we don't have the purity yet. There is absolutely, I don't even know what it is just that stops that, but not getting off track into, you know, philosophical and, you know, uncomfortable conversational beliefs. I don't need to know. I need to pay attention to not being right, not judging and staying present. Wow, can you do that, Ken? How well do you do that on a, any given day? About 2%. <laughs> so I have 2% peace in the course of my 98% day. But where I see more of a resolve in that devotion and determination is in my youngest son, Leo. Mm -hmm. All right? So what, what we're able to see, because he's pure. The, the innocence of children, Christ said it. Yogananda has said it. Krishna has been quoted as saying it. It's the innocence of the child. And we all have to turn to that innocence. And I think you said it in a different way. No, we're not pure and we're not clean enough. Yeah, because we got smart. Mm -hmm. We became intuitively identified with our intellect. Intellect's gonna is a, is a troublesome. Intellect is... Troublesome if it controls you. Yes. Your friend if it, you control it very hard. Right. And so I, I believe that there is there's a population of us, and I'm going to include myself and you and, and your beautiful wife in this, that um, understand that the intellect is a tool. Without a doubt. Right? And But before I came to this clarity, it was my Lord. It... It directed me and steered me and made and and created anxiousness and what uh, what I love BJ says is decision fatigue. Do I do this? Do I do that? Da, 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 da. And you're always like the monkey swinging in the jungle. 
And I was the servant. He's so awesome, isn't he? Who? The, the beach. Yeah, he's pretty awesome. <laughs> he's doing some serious up leveling on the West Coast. Just so you know. He is? He, oh, yeah. Working hard at it. He's, uh, the universe is sitting back and watching uh, what he's doing with his free will. And he is just rising to the occasion. Cool. And moving through the muck and getting vulnerable. Oh, and that's some. That, let's talk about getting vulnerable for a moment here okay. because somebody looks at you and, like, if I didn't know you, and of course, even knowing you, I wouldn't want to piss off your ego. But if I saw you raging down a dark alley, I would run as fast as I could in the other direction, right? You are looking pretty badass. You got the tattoos, you got like the white wife beater t-shirt on but yeah, i but it's know it's a joseph abu t-shirt yeah <laughs> it's a really nice t-shirt oh yeah and it has sleeves you are you are a it little has bit sleeves. of a, you are a little bit of a fashion Come on, queen. I'm, I forgot I'm, about I'm at that. least some type of a diva but you've got a softness to you and you've got a vulnerability to you that is i can feel and i've seen it i've seen it i've had you on my massage table my friend i've seen it and i've seen it with how you interact with your family and your wife. And for a long time, I thought that vulnerability was a weakness. And so speaking from the male perspective, where is that role of vulnerability in getting this clarity of who we are and what the hell we're doing here? Let me, let me backtrack. Five years ago, May 24th, I had open hearts. I had a massive heart attack. I had open heart surgery June 17th. Prior to that, I was more in tune with myself than I ever had been. So, speaking in terms of vulnerability, that vulnerability was like a freedom trail because I no longer had to stay attached to a, um, a made-up presence, so to speak. I have tattoos because it... Six years old, my parents owned a diner in a shopping center that had a legitimate motorcycle club renting a aspect of it. And I fell in love with that. Oh my gosh, we're talking six years old. This is 1965. Oh my gosh, I wanna be just like these guys. That's the only reason I have tattoos. It's because that's what I wanted to personify. Right. So you're trying you, to find your way. So, but, but you're hiding and masquerading vulnerabilities at that point. You're covering them up. So prior to my heart attack, I did a lot of work with this guy that I was meditating with and my wife and I um, spent some time with him. And, and, you know, that's when conflict, conflict, of, okay, Catholic, Hindu, Buddhism, where does all this sift and shift? And working on those fears and those vulnerabilities, personal fears and vulnerabilities. I was probably more in touch with myself than I ever was. I wake up from my open heart surgery, it's been nothing but a hurdle ever since. Because what was explained to me was that at that moment when they cut your chest open, your lungs are no longer working with your body. Your heart is no longer working with your body. And your brain's going, 
what is going on here? I'm not controlling the lungs or the heart. Okay? You become so grounded into the earthly plane. So grounded into this consciousness. And I don't want to, I, I overemphasize the earthly plane. This consciousness, this lie that we're living in, this dream world of you and I and sitting here. And the work we're doing, and I'm not, you know, uh, negating what we're doing. This is not about being... Uh, not grounded in the right area. What I'm saying is you're grounded in civilization, you're grounded in medicine, you're grounded in machines keeping you going. I wake up from that and everything, I, I've struggled from that day on. Why? To get back to where I was. We're talking about oh, vulnerabilities. Yeah, but listen to what you just said, to get back to, <laughs> to where, where I, I was. was. Prior to this and... But do you feel like this pursuit to get back to where you are has inadvertently blocked where you're supposed to go. Yes, but I wasn't able to identify that until a few months ago. A few months ago. All right, let's. I mean, I could sit still and see white light. I could sit still and see chakra colors. At times, I would prior sit to the heart attack. Right, it's times I would be able to sit still and even hear the bells. Mm. Wild. I saw the rings almost. Every time I did, meditated. you feel the vibration, the Om vibration? No, I never heard Om. Never heard Om. The closest I got was that level. So yes. never Samadhi. Never yes. gone into Samadhi. So. So okay. So you wake it, up from all this, yeah, and there is such a blanket of vulnerability. You're never going to feel much more vulnerable in the world when you can't get up. You can't move. You're sawed in half. And, and I had to tell you this because that question is so profound. Like, how do you identify vulnerabilities? Become sick, become, become an addict, become an alcoholic. Get to a place where you truly feel there's no way out and there's no one to help you. Many people choose suicide. My friend's son chose that in February, 15 year old boy, thought there was no way out for him. And he made a mistake that's uncorrectable. No boy tries to hang himself in a doorway where you can touch the ground. The only way he killed himself is he didn't understand what would happen when he literally asphyxiated himself with a rope and, and lost his consciousness. Then you die because you pass out. So you think about what our true vulnerability, that aloneness, we talked about feeling alone. Where does panic now take on a whole other face? Takes on a whole other face. Lies us. We make the wrong choice. I wake up with this. I've never been more vulnerable in life. I lost my sense of self, my ability. You say badass. I was a badass prior to my chest getting cut open. There was, please, we'll walk on the street. There was not really anything that was going to concern me. Threw going to cross my path. If you were with me, you're safe. I don't have that same persona anymore um, there's a frailty so all these different positionings inside myself and now we'll use words to describe all these vulnerabilities started surfacing oh my gosh will you ever be the same so I overcompensated to try to be the same and ended up setting myself back even further fast forward to this moment now I'm able to say Ooh, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. So I'm going to echo your statement. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, let's go back. Did you 
where I was never the same from where I was to, wait a minute, maybe you were supposed to be in this journey. But I would have had to have been more present to have been able to recognize that. It took me five, well, four and a half years to recognize that. The last half year. Since January, it's been like a, a, a different light switch. Which we know everyone on the astral plane is laughing at because four and a half years is shorter than that like, snap. Like we don't even know. We can't, you know it's laughable that we think we know. I know. That we think but don't we know. you think there's a part of us that does know? We just, I yes. think that stillness is when we get to yes. experience knowing. Yeah, I do okay? too. So when I go downstairs and I'll I, I share this, I mentioned Leo earlier. Leo has never not been with us. And Leo, just so everybody knows, was a baby when you had, wait, was he a baby or was Meredith still pregnant? Leo was six months in my six wife's womb when she drove me to the hospital. Mary, you need to drive me to the hospital. I'm having a massive heart attack. I'm certain of it. She was pregnant. She was pregnant, six months. So my six month old wife and my little baby inside is driving me to the hospital. Think about what he was feeling. And Mommy's freaking out. Your heart attack started on her massage table, am I correct? Uh, started before that, but on her massage table, I was right full blown in the middle of it. Isn't that insane? And he's in her body and- Navigating the whole show. Oh. <laughs> well, how about this? Okay. Mary had a quote unquote, I think they call it a chemical pregnancy. Not sure of the medical term. But we made an announcement that, hey, we're going to have a baby November 24th. 25th, November 25th, Thanksgiving or 23rd. We said to the family, hey, we're having a baby. This is November 23rd. This is after a miscarriage and, you know, um, Mary being pretty sick, right? Actually passing out and having to be hospitalized. Anyways, we she got pregnant again and we're all excited. December 2nd, she bleeds out. That's right. So you tell me how Leo got born December 25th. December 25th, he was already conceived because the morning of December 25th, 2012, Mary showed me a stick that said she was pregnant. So in 23 days, somewhere in those 23 days, Mary was able to ovulate again mm -hmm. after bleeding out and Leo was able to come in and choose us. And That's beyond medicine. Yes, yeah, beyond medicine. Beyond medicine. But but it's medically possible, obviously. There is a, a small little quarter that says, yes, that could happen a million times or but whatever. But he's teaching us, he's teaching us in his literal physical infancy that that all of this is is beyond. So beyond. It's so beyond. It is it is beyond physical, it is metaphysical. And your wife actually was somebody who shared an article with me as a massage therapist who I worked with a lot of women who were trying to get pregnant or miscarried or were pregnant or after pregnancy. And she sent me this beautiful article about the energy match that happens at the moment of conception. And, and just that it is this perfect, it is this absolute moment. moment. Like, 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 yeah, it happens well, like we don't a know. quarter yeah. of that. Yeah, right? we don't like, even know. So fast where all of your souls are completely aligned. And it talks a little bit about how couples who conceive when they're under the influence of alcohol and drugs or, you know, angry makeup sex or, you know, all of these kinds of things. But it's this perfect energy match. And Leo's soul knew. Oh, it, oh so evolved. Like so, so evolved. evolved. 
Bob. And it's not often that meditating couples get pregnant. Well, it says it in the Gita. Yes. It says very rarely does a soul. Can you explain why? So our audience is like, what the hell are they talking about? Because I'm taking facility shots and should I not be doing this? Do you know? Well, how do you really explain the phenomenon of creation? It's creation. Yeah. Like, think about how limited we are. Like, we're right here, right? Here's where I'm catching this. Leo's soul is out in the astral plane. Okay? So he's spinning back again, but he's evolved. He's close. He's tapped. God, I see you. I'm here. God, I, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps right now. You can't create goosebumps. I can try, but I can't. But my legs are literally full of goosebumps. So he's tapping. I'm going to see them. We had two miscarriages. So we had two souls that were so evolved, they had to come here for a second, catch a heartbeat and leave. This last soul didn't even have to catch a heartbeat. He just had to come back, you know, get a moment in that conception, that moment of existence, and then he's gone. He's back up there. So, you know, think of Leo now our third time around. Yeah, I'm evolved too, but I got to stay here. I got work to do. Right, he still had work to do. He has work to do. And what it was the perfect yeah. alignment. It was that perfect match oh. of energy. And then 23 days. I mean, it's just like incredible. Yeah, it's wild. So she's six months pregnant. You wake up in the hospital the next day. Everything you thought you knew and where you were and white light and rings and all this, all this stuff is completely erased. Yet I'm at peace. I did not lose my peace until I woke up. Hmm. And matter of fact, they have counselors that come and talk to you about... Uh, you know, are you going to be okay emotionally? Do you realize this? I'm like, if you guys do your job, I'm going to be fine. And I was all right. At one point, I was doing deep breath, uh, breathing exercise, prana exercises in the room, and I raised my heartbeat so high they came rushing in like something was wrong, and I'm sitting up in bed in a yoga stance, and they're like, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting centered. Is there something wrong here? It's like, yeah, you can't do that. I'm like, okay. Here we are, back back again, like in school, get in the box. This is what you can and cannot do based on the evidence. Based on what it is. Okay. Yeah. But when I woke up, something really happened there. And and what happened was, as I look back, it's like, wow, man, you you rush through this. You have more to unravel. You have more things to peel inside. You know, and, you know, my... my soul is is beginning to find peace again it takes time it's a lot sometimes you never find it in this life when did you feel like you started to come back into i guess for the lack of a better word like alignment following the heart attack you said it was just a few months ago yeah in june mary and i were struggling we had a very disruptive christmas i didn't want to identify when anything that had to do with uh the money world. A year ago, I spent $20,000 on Christmas. It's a lot of money. We're not rich. $20,000 is a lot of money to spend on Christmas for your family. Like, hello, we're not the Rockefellers. We're, believe me, but it was just something I had to do in 2016. 2017, I didn't want to spend a thing. So think about that. I don't want to do a thing. Like, I can't stand this. Retract. Yep. And so we're at odds. I mean, we have kids that want X phones and this, that, and they have a certain identification. Well, we're not doing any of that. So there was a real, like, not that my wife by any way, shape or form, and you know her, 
is identified with the material, quite frankly, the opposite. But she's like, really? You're, we're not going to have Christmas? Like, we're not right. going to do presents? And yeah. anyways, we, we kind of uh, collided Whoa, through Christmas. Contrast. And when you're having trouble in that, that, you know, that identify a worldly peace place where you're really thinking about Christ was on this earth. I'm certain it wasn't December 25th. Okay, just for the record. There's no way I'm going to buy that. Uh, but he was on this earth and what we're supposed to think of and what that represents. We started, uh, got through the holidays in January. And I'm like, look, are we even going to make it? Were we just supposed to bring Leo here? And now we're supposed to go off on our own. And what are we doing? What are we really doing? And I mean, my wife is just, she's just on a higher plane. She goes, I love you more than anything in the world. And whatever we need to do, we're going to, do, we're, we're going to need to do it. And uh, what has changed for us, though, is we would meditate together. We would sit consciously together often. And even though meditation is a personal thing, and when you do it with your partner, it's really special. You know, you're really surrendering in front of another human being and being open and you're surrendering i mean and i think the biggest thing with with married couples or you know couples in relationships is that you're surrendering the role mm. of this is the role i play in this in this relationship and you're basically in this agreement that this role is not actually who i am and it took bj a couple years to to meditate with me. I mean, there was times where I was like, I'm going to meditate downstairs. Do you want to go? And he's like, no, I'm fine here. And I was like, oh, right. But I didn't push it. I was like, he'll come. He'll come. I, they, I don't have to do anything because the power of that energy is going to bring him in, into communion and we're going to do this together. And um, and now we, we do meditate together. And it's like in those moments where I'm kind of back and, you know, you, the thinking mind gets you back. I have this moment of like, whoa this man that I walk this earth with, like nobody closer to me is sitting next to me, tapping into that stillness too. It's extremely powerful to do that. I think as a couple. Oh, it's empowering. No yeah, doubt about it. It's empowering. It. It's I like empowering that. for, for not only what we draw in from all the other meditative energies. I mean, that's really what meditating for me, is the lifting that you're you're aligning yourself with hundreds and thousands of people who meditate, yeah, who believe. And yeah, sure, you know, get your chest ripped open, get stuck on the earthly plane, let you know pharmaceuticals have to control yourself. All right, bit of a challenge there, you know, deal with some fear and vulnerability. Yeah, bit of a challenge. But you want to know what's magical, even in this whole entire struggle, and how we got through January of this year to where we are now we got back to basics. We verbally spent time with God. Because see, for us, it's God, it's Jesus, it's Krishna, it's Buddha. Christ is easier for me because I was brought up with Christ. But as Christ clearly states, it's not me, okay? I'm the way, meaning this is the path. Right. To go on. And I mean, any brilliant yogi Christ says it also. Why would they be yogi Christ? Why did Jesus himself say to Peter, who is it you say I am? You're the Christ. It doesn't say, you're the Jesus. 
you're the man. No, you're the Christ. That spark of light, our energy. I mean, is God really in human form? We're created in God's image. Our energy is created in God's image. That's as close as I'll get to making a definite statement of disagreeing with all the hokey malokey. God is not in human skin sitting up there in some place. Or, come on. No, no. No. I believe it's every place. Yeah, well, it's energy. He's an energy. He's an energy. So God being that light, him opening himself up and saying, hey, that's what we got. Yep. That's as close as I can't explain. Not many people want to even hear that. You know? So where did the where did the, the the meditation start to evolve? So to backtrack a little bit and getting sober in 2007. Oh, way backtracking. Meditation is always involved in, in and, and if you want to follow a path, anybody who really gets puts on drugs and alcohol, you need to align yourself spiritually. Mm-hmm. Nothing happens. And there's a bunch of different uh, organizations that that profess, hey, we'll help you get sober. Hey, we'll help you get clean. Hey, help you do this. We'll help you do that. What I identify as the identifying truth of them all is they require you to be still. Be still. They'll use the word contemplation, some outright meditation. <sighs> so did that come in when you were in when you started recovery, or no. that you were you already meditating? No, I was I was thinking I was meditating. I was searching entry level uh, teachers like Eckhart Tolle, you know, Power of Now, um, more of a intellect more of an understanding like how do i understand right but i i we have to absorb it what i believe is in my experience is that absorbing it through the intellect first we have to get our brains on board with it like our minds on board with it but yeah because we're limited there but through the practice the practice is what takes us right but the the because the, the belief has to be there the discipline in that practice is i believe just exactly what you're saying just a different word is what takes us if i don't stay disciplined you can talk it all you want well it's like you have to stay disciplined with not doing drugs and alcohol that's easy right Uh, you you think meditation is harder yes (laughs) i love it because i think a lot of people it's the hardest thing i do in my life is to still my mind okay i love this because i think a lot of people who are listening know i mean they listen to this podcast so there's I don't know if there's been podcasts out of the 120 something that we've done where we haven't talked about getting still, being present, meditation. I mean, all the athletes on our team, they'll get meditation to some degree, whether that's take a breath, whether that's you meditate for 90 minutes, you know, whatever it may be. And what I think is mis- can be misleading, and, and, and I'm sure it's some people's experience that meditation is bliss and it's this and it's that, and for me, it was like a street fight for the first year. It was wicked. And still to this day, some days it's like, oh, just you've got a lot to do today. Get on with your day. You can meditate later. And I know that that's always like you meditate now because there's nothing more important that you're going to do today that's going to that's going to trump you getting still. The best way I could validate what you're saying is at the moment of while you were talking, Everything in this little tiny back room was vibrating. Mm. 
everything was in and of itself. And that's what meditation allows us to see the intricacies of our thoughts dissipate. So when it's tough, how do you get yourself to get still? That's what, that's breath. what I. Breathing is the only way I can do it. And for me, it's bellows breath. I literally have to force that energy. Breath of fire. Out of me, out of me in order for it to slow down. Yeah. And then after that, I do three-part breathing. I rise it up all the way up into my third eye. And when I know that I'm okay with that, my third inhales and like when I, when I fill up my abdomen, my diaphragm, and then when I bring it up to my chest, my third hiccups, it lets go. So now I'm like, okay, I'm finally, the energy in my body's not fighting it. It wants to fight all the time. Mm. What active mind wants to meditate? Right. Mine doesn't. So what do you have to say to that person that's like, my mind's too busy, I can't meditate. I know I, I should, I hear a lot of like, I should do it, but I just can't make time for it, I'm too busy. So how does somebody who's got all of that stacked up, which is, you know, we know it's just, that's delusion, it's distraction. No, but it's very real for me too. It is real, It's yeah. real for me on a daily basis. I wake up obliterated with thought. So how do And a child. To, how do they get to the cushion? I beat them up. <laughs> Number one, I do. I beat them out of bed. The only way, shape, or form. How do you do that? That I'm going to do it is, well, I wake up without a clock, so it's not fair for mm -hmm. me to say that I can wake up, period. I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock. Okay, I'll be up at 5 o'clock. Don't ask me how I'm up at 5 o'clock, but I can get up. I'm just up. Something will connect to where I'm up. So I get up before them. And then you have to leave the room and find, I have a couple places. See, when Leo was born, he took my meditation room. Leo gets born and Isn't becomes his Isn't that funny that Leo took your meditation yeah. room? And he doesn't sleep in it. He doesn't sleep in his room. I mean, so now I have my meditation pillow underneath his bed. I pull it out. I sit on my little pad, whatever they call them. I mean, I noticed. So you just get right to it. Right to it. Because I don't you even start brush getting, my teeth. You don't. No. And I, I think just go that's, right in. I think that's an important thing is that for some people, it might be like, don't even brush your teeth. Like just if you can get help to it, the Yeah, you're by yourself. Get to it. Because the more you do prior to sitting still, the more you're, you're opening yourself up to distraction. But see, this whole interview has been meditating for me. Like I haven't seen you in so long. I, I know what you believe in. I know what you believe to be true because it's what I believe to be true. It's what my wife believes to be true. I saw you you know, pretty much walk out of what you're supposed to be and, and, and achieve what you're supposed to have and say, no, we don't want, this isn't us and we're gonna go do what we need to. So I watch you and BJ really make a radical decision and in that growth and, and create that. So for me, this whole part of our interview is never really, or podcast has never really been a podcast to me. This has been a meditative, like we've been meditating together. And the reason why I could say that is because that's where my body's at right now. It is so calm inside. Mm -hmm. My mind is not, there is not a cessation of thought that I'm battling. I'm able to be here with you. That's what I said earlier. Like right now, this whole room is vibrating. The bucket's on the wall, the mixer. I know, we're in the back of your pizza shop. <laughs> the the Coke products. I mean, it's all vibrating around me. 
immense presence. And identifying with that is 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 an eye opener. It's it's like an identification point. Hey, am I meditating? You'll you'll feel presence. Like so so when for me. If I had to say, okay, what do you do? You've asked that. Like, what do you do? How could you really say to somebody, how do you get this going? Like, what is it? And you go back to letting your mind just not want to do it and do it anyways. Discipline. Mm -hmm. Just go sit there. And if you have to time yourself, time yourself. Set a timer. I sat for eight minutes today. I was I, I didn't have one second of freedom. Yeah, you did. You definitely did. You just didn't identify with it because it takes time. Whereas I'm able to, sometimes my meditations, like Leo can tell when I'm not in the room with him. So I'll be downstairs meditating and I'll hear the... And he'll come down and I'll be in... A, a straight back posture and he'll sit inside my legs fold his legs and put his hands and, and be still sometimes five seconds before I have to identify with him and then remind him we're going to take some deep breaths some mornings he'll take 15 yesterday we got into a he was so disrupted I said Leo you need to stop and center yourself he gets up on the table, gets in a yogi position with the straight back, puts his fingers on his knees. And I don't sit like that. I put my fingers in my, my hands like this. Puts his fingers on his knees. Daddy, you need to do this with me and I'll, I'll take deep breaths. Already his little ego wants to run the show. But look what his little ego's being taught. Right, exactly. Certainly knows it's edging God out. Daddy, I'm an ego. I'm edging God out. Yep, you need to edge him back in. I said, Daddy does it all the time. I'm professional. <laughs> 98% of the time, 2%. Not edging God out, edging him in. In other words, going within, being inside. You know, having that awareness to say, wow, I've pretty much lost it. I need to come back in. And that's what meditation is, coming back in. Slowing it down. I mean, when you can visualize the hollowness of your spine, the two. <laughs> I know exactly mm, what you're talking about. That's 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 at a point where, hey, how much do we want to talk about meditation? Because really, that's where my head goes. Yeah. And I think <laughs> it's just I think you summed it up so perfectly when you said it's. It's sitting when your mind doesn't want to and doing it anyway, period. Tough luck, Ken. I talk to myself. I, 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 I recommend everyone, please do. Don't succumb to your internal dialogue. As a matter of fact, challenge it. Ask yourself, what are you telling yourself? Your mind is telling yourself something all day, no matter what you're doing. And if you really get still, it's probably the same seven, eight things. Fear is somewhere in there, some, some type of fear, some type of future, you know, some type of want, mm -hmm. desire, you know, and I totally recommend everybody to take a deep breath and read the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, baby. As crazy as it might sound, and, and do yourself a favor and look up what the words mean. Look up what prana means. Look up pranayama. Look up what brahman means. Look up what atman means. Look up what they're trying to tell you. 
and watch how it becomes simpler. I love it. I think that's a perfect place to end. Perfect. That was beautiful. Wow, I got goosebumps again. We Look at them. I love look, it. you cannot make that happen. And I just want to tell everyone that I did not plant the seed for him to talk about the Bhagavad Gita. We talk about the Bhagavad Gita all the time. Oh, you do? No, she it's, did it. It's the book, man. Wait a minute. There's three books on the planet. All right, what are they? We'll the finish. Bible. Yep. I know. I'm just about to get that because I... The Bible! Really, really... Absolutely. The Gita. And I'm a big fan of Yogananda's book. Oh, Autobiography of a Yogi? Killer book. You know why I'm a big fan of it? It's like he's talking about the picture show. He's talking about, hey, I'm so evolved. And when you see pictures of him meditating and the whites of his eyes, mm -hmm. he's gone. He's completely gone. But what I love about Yogananda is that he was not immune to impatience. Right? Loved ice cream. Yes. He's... <laughs> teacher was not immune to frustration oh like no. it, they were they were this stuff was showing up in their life and they did it anyway Sri Yuteshwar could leave his body mm -hmm. and their teacher you know I I mean just I don't know how do you how do you we could go on a whole other role yeah. no just did not ask me to talk about the I love it data. I love and it matter of fact I'll end it with this real good Catholic friend of mine I buy him the Bhagavad Gita. I said, dude, you have to read this. Into the Bible, really spiritual, meditates, centered. The book went in his drawer for five years. He now reads the Bhagavad Gita and, then and it says, came out oh my drawer. gosh, look what I was missing. Yeah. And I just told him, look, I was afraid of this too. Like this, this challenged me to go a bit and beyond. And then what I really realized was exactly what Christ says in the Bible. Now I can read the Bible and not be confused about what they're saying. Because really, let's call a spade a spade. Do you think really God had the whole Israelite community wandering around in the desert for 40 years? Or was he talking about their consciousness and their inability to get out of the way of themselves? Which seems more true? Yeah. Did Adam and Eve really go in a garden and get naked and a snake come and tempt them? I don't want that kind of God, everybody. That is not my idea of God. And I don't believe that. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I know we went deep. So if you have questions, please shoot them over to us and we can follow up. BJ and I will be recording our monthly Ask the YTs. That's a great opportunity for us to even go deeper. We're going to be doing that this week. So be on the lookout for the launch of it next Monday. For those of you who are interested in the bellows breath that Ken described in the interview, I'll be putting a video up on Patreon this week about this very powerful pranayama. So check that out at patreon.com forward slash yogi triathlete. I'll post on our social outlets that it's up there. All right, you guys, we appreciate your continued support. And we are so proud to be a listener supported podcast. This really was like this epiphany that I had this week that you guys are making this happen. It's, ah, it's so crazy. You're all amazing. This community is amazing. And hey, just a reminder, if you want to be a little more amazing, just because I put my order in today, I was thinking about this, or at least if you just want to be a little more clear and open, then get yourself some powerful cacao at oneworldcacao.com and use Yogi 10. Nola is offering us all a discount and I think she's doing it till the end of the year, but don't wait, don't delay. So use Yogi 10 at checkout and save yourself some dough. We just stocked up on a kilo brick and some beans for my upcoming race. We'll be up in the Bay Area for the North Face Challenge next month. So if you guys are racing, let us know. I'd love to connect with you. 
Take care, you guys. And until next week, stay awake to your life. Nothing on this journey happens to you. It happens for you. And our futures are created not by chance, but from the essence of every single one of our responses to what life is handing us. If you're having trouble committing to a meditation practice, perhaps you could just ask yourself if you are willing to drop the story, notice that your mind doesn't want to do it, and do it anyway.